So the gender, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was like sure about it that time. It's not going to be creepy at all. It's going to be 100% creepy. <laughs> totally. You're welcome. What's good, fam? This is The Queer Archive, a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Brenna. And this week we're talking about the Series 9 finale, Hellbent. Let's order up a heart attack on a rack to talk about our initial thoughts. <laughs> okay, what are our first reactions to this episode? The beginning of this episode is very gunslinger, very cowboy-y. I kind of like it. I may- maybe it's just because it's post-Mandalorian. <laughs> It was definitely giving me the Western Mandalorian space cowboy vibes. Even the music is like... Exactly. I will not be finding the clip of that. That's just what you're going to (laughs) get. Space Glasgow. Space Glasgow. (laughs) Why have they blurred Jenna Coleman's face so much? I couldn't. They do it to several characters just randomly, really intensely throughout the season. But she's like 27 in this episode. Her skin is perfect. Why are you blurring it so much? And on the other end of the spectrum, why blur Capaldi's face? Just let it be. Like, we know he's got some wrinkles. That's right. The creases are his glory. Exactly. Yeah, I noticed it as well in this episode. Just like... Just a few shots, too. Not even everything. Yeah. It's just wild. Well, speaking of the opening diner scene, that me watching that scene is just basically me laughing sometimes through tears at all the pun jokes. Only sometimes? Well, the other times I'm just crying. But then every <laughs> once in a while a pun joke comes along and I have to laugh, so I'm just like, <laughs> funny. When she says, You've been traveling? Yeah, from time to time. that's the one respect yeah the diner scenes are actually what they were filming the day i met peter capaldi how fucking dare you have i mentioned that i met peter capaldi (laughs) no um you want to recount the story for us so i was in (laughs) (laughs) we should post that photo of y'all because it's very adorable we were so excited you can see it on our faces oh yeah (laughs) Didn't he do the whole doctor he did look the doctor for you? Face. Yeah, because he was like smiling and laughing with everybody, and then the face he looks like dead serious. Mm. <laughs> what is a light? Yeah. One day. I, yeah. I do love that Clara looks at the doctor and just can see that he's older, just like in the 50th, she looked at John yeah. Hurt and was like, You're young. Yes. So I like consistency when they have it. Yeah, I really value that she has a consistent high emotional intelligence throughout these seasons with Peter Capaldi. I couldn't speak to her seasons with Matt Smith because I don't remember those existing. That's not real. But uh, Clara seems to be just a really, not consistent in most ways, but in this way, definitely written as just like a really perceptive person that truly sees people in Mm. a way that maybe not everyone else in the room is, is acknowledging or seeing them. Okay, I have a couple of Deck 70 random thoughts, but first of all, me, what is your hair? Like, why did they style it in this episode like she's in some 80s metal band? I don't know. I don't get it. Other things, the Gallifreyan Time Lords, well, specifically Rassilon Asalon, as Tumblr would put it, the militarized guards behind him definitely look very SWAT-like. Yeah. It's like 
SWAT team, but Time Lord. Full full body gear and big ass guns. What are y'all defending? <laughs> what are y'all defending in the key city there? Just the look. They just just wanted the vibe, you know? Yeah. That's usually usually all it is. Anyways, I have one note about the heartbeat thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I love the idea that Clara couldn't hear her heartbeat, and it is like this noticeable difference that she calls out. So it reminds me of one of my favorite commentaries from the composer John Cage, where he visited an anechoic chamber at Harvard University. An anechoic chamber is one that is designed to trap all sounds made inside it. So essentially, it's supposed to be the quietest place on earth. So he recounted that in that silent room, I heard two sounds, one high and one low. Afterwards, I asked the engineer in charge why, if the room was so silent, had it had two sounds? So the engineer said, describe them. He did. And then the answer was, the high one was your nervous system in operation. The low one was your blood in circulation. But afterwards, of course, some physicians were like, "Mm, let's question that story. Like, bro, you should not have heard your blood in circulation. Maybe you should get that checked out. But apparently, This American Life did an episode on it as well, where... Okay, so it's confirmed. Hourglass could record his heartbeat. Yeah. So anyways, the point is that there is no such thing as pure silence or pure paint or neutrality. So take that, Clement Greenberg. And I love the idea of taking for granted like a sound that's so familiar as your heartbeat that as soon as it's absent, everything sounds entirely strange. I kind of geeked out about it. Yeah. Even though it was more to serve the plot, which also worked great, but... Yes. Scientifically and just poetically, I liked that yeah. as well. Did John Cage end up having a, a blood problem or a heart problem? He died of a stroke. Oh. Yep. Okay. Well, that makes so. sense. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. The story still remains profound. John Cage is also the guy who did 4 minutes, 15 seconds, right? That is what he's most famous for. Stone Cold Weirdo. Exactly. That avant-garde bullshit. But I love that his thesis almost always sounds like it's modernism, but his discoveries and what they like produce, the results are always very postmodernism. They're always like, you can't find something without context. You can't remove things from each other. They're all interconnected. So yeah. if you play no song at all, there will be a song because the audience plays it for you. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. That is something where my mind just goes during that scene. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the whole no heartbeat crisis of this episode, mm-hmm. What is the point of the neural block? Like, if the neural block worked, would Clara ever age? Her heart still wouldn't beat, right? Like, what is this plan? This is his most anti-Slytherin episode ever. Clara's like, I can tell you, not you, because... This is a Gryffindor move, and that's not you. It is a Gryffindor move. <laughs> like, where's it is your being plan? Expressed via his Slytherinism, where he's like, "What regeneration are you on? Good luck, bitch." Oh shit! <laughs> regeneration. <laughs> so brutal. It's in my top three. But yeah, that might come up more. <laughs> I just I don't understand what the plan is. And then he's mm. like, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is the best possible outcome that we both press the neural block and we don't." What? Well, yeah. What is this? We'll talk about that later. I totally agree. A mess. This episode's a mess. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Capaldi is just a mess because he's just he's acting out trauma more, yes. and he's doing a damn good job at it. Like his of performance, course. holy shit, throughout the whole thing. Of course. The when he gets mad because his plan isn't working. As of this moment, I'm answerable to no one. Fuck the whole galaxy. I'm and the horse wrote it on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The whole episode, Poppy is big mad, mm-hmm. and his eyebrows when he's 
when the Eating first ship comes and in looks up. And he's Holy like this. Shit. Yeah. Iconic. It reminds me of the 50th special actually. Yeah, yeah. No, all 13 eyebrows. The eyebrows have reported for duty. <laughs> yeah. That's all I have for pulled it open. What all about right. you? Let's 86 this segment and head to the High Council of Gallifrey to talk about Moffat's gentle step back in quality. Okay, we are in the High Council of Gallifrey, the segment where we discuss folks in power positions in the world of Who production. So, of course, we got Moffat again for this two-parter. Yeah, you know what? If I had just written Heaven Sent, I would have phoned in the next episode, too. (laughs) That's sort of a joke. (laughs) But you also mean it. I do. I do. I have, like, I have a weird relationship to this episode. I think it's, like, a C episode, honestly. Like, if a student turns in my class, I'd give it, like, a 74. But there are some really beautiful moments. But a lot of it's just kind of, like, messy. As is tradition for a two-parter, right? Like, the second part is always a little bit sloppy technically this is the third part if you do face the raven heaven set hellbent oh because at the end of face the raven it says to be continued they totally speak to each other like in a really unique way so i'd believe that but i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with you a little bit i do not i genuinely like this episode and i disagree with maybe the central message it presents yeah which makes it a little hard but for some reason i walk away from the episode truly liking it and truly, and truly having a lot of things that I pull from it that I enjoy and add value, in my opinion. But um, I'm going to agree with you on a lot of accounts regard- <laughs> regarding its message. Yeah. I do think he's very smart for not trying to outdo Clara's farewell speech and face the raven. She's just like, I have things to say to you. And then it's a pull away scan shot. And I'm like, mm, smart. There's <laughs> I already a good gave lag. you my speech, bro. You run off. Yeah. <laughs> we can fill in the gaps with our own imagination, which is always the best. <laughs> Not just a hat rack, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And then this episode was directed by Rachel Talalay, who I think is doing the best with the material that she's been given. Absolutely. Yeah. I do love the direction for the whole sequence, the cowboy sequence at the beginning where people keep coming and going and there's just like... Like Rassilon standing there trying to talk to him and then you hear the door closing and, he, mm-hmm. and by the time it looks back, he's already inside the barn. And I also do like when Rassilon shows up and extends his hand and then the next shot is him dropping the confession dial in Beautiful. the line in the sand. That's some good stuff. It makes you really feel it. Yeah. There are some noticeably interesting transition shots in this episode. Yeah. I forgot to look it up. <laughs> the word for it. The, there's a word in the film world. Obviously, we are not film geeks but and we're allergic to looking stuff up apparently it's like a very inconsistent rule of when we do and when we don't look things up but there is a word specifically for when something either zooms in completely into a really small space of the screen and then that particular space takes up the the next shot um or the opposite i believe is the same word where the whole scene gets zoomed out into a small space where the the camera would then pan to some larger expanse. Mm. Um, So some film buffs just uh, send along uh, the correct terminology for that and you'd be ever (laughs) forever grateful. Um, I do think that the closing diner scene is, it's some of her best work in the whole series. It's beautiful and brutal, which almost makes up for how messy the middle of the episode is. <laughs> but the closing scene, the diner scene is like some of the best work of the whole series. It's beautiful. Yeah, I may come away from this episode 
liking it just because of the performances that we get from our cast That's and right. because of Rachel Talalay. And it's a strong closer. That's what my mom used to say when I was in choir when I was in elementary school. What do mm-hmm. people remember? The very beginning, the very end, the very good, the very bad. Rachel Talalay did her elementary school choir homework. <laughs> you know what? These Bow Wows just aren't filling at all. I'd rather have something more substantial, like an Adam and Eve on a raft or a full house. Um, I don't speak Greasy Spoon, so I don't know what those are. But we can talk about something meatier in the Black Archive. Sounds good. This is the Black Archive, a segment that is full of such dangerous, forbidden, and powerful stuff that even the doctor shouldn't get near them. Here we talk about things like race, class, sexuality, gender, bodies, all the fun stuff. What we got? This is one of those episodes I always immediately think of anytime some Time Lord, like Missy, is like, Ugh, don't be so disgusting, you humans. Gender doesn't matter. But alas, it does. Even though everyone's always like, we don't care about gender on Gallifrey. It's a construct. When the I general <laughs> regenerates, she stands up and says, Back to normal, am I? The only time I've been a man that last body. Dear Lord, how do you cope with all that ego? Oh, okay, so gender does have material differences, because if you're talking about men having ego and saying it like it's a given, yeah. what you're saying is the patriarchy still exists, which I already knew from Russell and the High Council. So what I'm saying is, fuck off. It's a very Moffat line, I feel. It is. And right? also, like, how small is your imagination that you are putting the patriarchy into your sci-fi fantasy? Mm. The whole universe? The whole universe. And the patriarchy still exists. God, that's boring. As Bill would say, then why are they called Time Lords? Yeah. <laughs> Shut the doctor right Bill. up. <laughs> Bill, 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 Bill. Always asking the right fucking questions. Yeah, she is. Yeah, in the face oh, of so the bad. general, yeah. <laughs> as soon as she regenerates, when the first thing she hears is, you all right, sir? Her face is like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to add, gender presentation is not the only thing that changes with this regeneration, mm. right? So the general is now black as well, which is fucking rad. Obviously, the show needs to cast more, I was going to say black time lords, but just more black people in general. Yeah, I was looking for it too, because I was like, are they the only black people in this whole episode? And there is literally one extra, a black man, and he is also in the same shot as the general and the black soldier, whose name is Gaston, I guess. Gaston! I know. <laughs> That's what IMDb said, but I was like, does anybody ever say his name out loud? But it's the female general's name on IMDb is female general, by the way. Yep. But the general and Gaston, and then there's another, a black soldier just over his shoulder, yep, an I extra, remember. and I that's it. Him. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, mm, okay, yep. a choice. So with that, the only thing that really catches my attention, and it catches me honestly by surprise every time I watch it because I forget, is an interaction between Clara and the general right before Clara and the Doctor steal another TARDIS, right? So we have Clara telling the general, who has been played by a black woman for only a few scenes now, and Clara's telling her the quote, because you are hated. You are hated by everyone. And, of course, Clara's delivery is, like, extremely well done. It is extremely believable. It is loaded with all of the remorse and all of the compassion she has for the Doctor and how he has been treated. And of course, she's saying this to a person that's more of a representation of the power and the violence of a really vile and unjust people. So in world, it makes sense and it shouldn't be a problem. 
But I'm not going to lie, like, and I'm not going to act like it feels unnecessary just to watch that dynamic between a white woman and a black woman to happen on screen. I I wouldn't necessarily take it out. I just have to, like, sit with it every time it happens, and it just feels a little icky. It's a very small and way less weighty example of how folks who write and cast Doctor Who continually just show little awareness of how the existence of racism affects scenes like this. Mm. Which is something that Nicole, aka Black Tardis, literally just wrote about in her article at Den of Geek called Doctor Who and the Complications of Colorblind Casting, which we will absolutely link in the show notes. And she goes into a lot better examples of that exact thing. And this, again, is just like a really small, tiny moment that's not like a super big deal, but it just reminds me every time that just like, hey, this is a dynamic, whether or not you acknowledge it. Yeah. And because the existence of racism will always affect every scene and you can either acknowledge that and write accordingly or you can put episodes out there that say a lot more than you intended and that you understand and sometimes that can do violence to communities that's just how it is and we talked about that in face the raven we talked Mm -hmm. about that in our reaction to um spyfall part two we talked about that in time heist we talked about it all the way back to deep breath so it's been a problem we've been charting pretty consistently across our rewatch but you totally. definitely should go when you were starting to talk about this i was like oh we should i should mention the nicole thing right <laughs> you have it in there. but you definitely should go read nicole's article it's really good all right do we have anything else for black archive yes i let's talk about the concept of home okay yeah continual reoccurring motif right yeah in heaven sent when he when the doctor gets to room 12 it flashes home on the Asbantium wall before sure he says the TARDIS last square on the board. So when it says home, he's thinking TARDIS. And we've already mentioned a couple of different times how this series has been playing with the concept of what home means since Missy teased him with Gallifrey's location at the conclusion of the last series. And we also had Davros tell the Doctor in the opener for this series that the Daleks have a strong sense of home, just like you. So I guess part of what this series is asking is if Gallifrey isn't the Doctor's home, which I think this series conclusion pretty well demonstrates, then what is his home? And obviously it's his friends, Clara, the TARDIS. Chosen fandom. That's the one. Chosen fandom, y'all. Catch us at Gallifrey with that ribbon. (laughs) Okay, shall we do Bechtel and DuVernay? Yep, that'll be two no's coming right up. (laughs) You feel satisfied now? Yeah, that was good. I feel like I'm ready for dessert now. Maybe this place has, like, um, Eve with a lid on it. Is is that, like, apple pie? Ooh, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. <laughs> okay. While you get a treat and head for the heart of the TARDIS, we can hear a word from our sponsor. Sounds good. This podcast is brought to you by Jackson Diner. Located in the high desert hills of Nevada, Jackson Diner serves up gas for your vehicle and snacks for you. Even in the drylands, you and your car will both be quenched by Jackson Diner's offerings. If you're in the mood for a delicious lemonade or just need to get through the desert like magic, visit Jackson Diner. Okay, we are in the heart of the TARDIS, where we talk about feels and supposed morals of the episode. Mm. This episode seems to suggest that the Doctor and Clara have brought out the worst in each other, and that's wrong. Objectively wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's bullshit. It I is. think we've talked about this because it's been a lead-up to this conclusion this whole damn season. Maybe even before this season? Yeah. Yeah. 
both their seasons I don't like series it. together. No, it's it's wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> this is like a, a a Joe Rowling moment where we're like, oh, you actually just don't understand your own characters. Okay. Wow, I get it. Cool. You're an idiot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have so many feels in uh, this Heart of the Tardis. This is this Very is what feely. I'm saying. I think this episode is like fine, but there are some really strong moments in it. So right. when it's the good parts of this episode are very good. Yeah. And then the rest of it is just kind of like, eh. Why? That wasn't necessary. <laughs> Why are we here? Yeah, I'm going to super hard agree that I just don't appreciate making Clara and the Doctor like part ways because they agree that they're not good for each other. That's yeah. honestly some steaming hot pile of garbage. Yep. But I'm going to talk about the things that I really can pull out of this episode that, in my opinion, add value to their stories. So... Two main things. Firstly, the whole interaction between Clara and the Doctor in the cloisters is really moving to me. Like you were saying, she recognizes right away. How long has it been for you since you last saw me? Oh, oh I'm not sure. How long? I was stuck in a place. They... They... What? Who? Who are we talking about? They wanted something from me, information. It really doesn't matter. You have been without me for a long time. You are older. You have significantly aged. Weirder. <laughs> He's been trapped by himself in a confession dial for four and a half billion years. Bonkers. He would be fucked up. The doctor's wild. level of whack is already <laughs> so high. pretty high. <laughs> I could he would only be imagine. Fucked up on so many different <laughs> levels. Yeah. Which is why when she looks at him, she's like, mm, wait, look wait. at me again. <laughs> With your eyeballs. Yeah. I need to see. Your face, <laughs> looking at my face. <laughs> <sighs> like, she's concerned, but also it's just, like, you can feel it. You can yeah. feel the worry and the, like, concern, right? So, how long has it been since you've last seen me, she asks. Just the way, during that whole interaction, it's a lot of, like, showing and not telling, which yes. I, I really appreciate. We see the doctor trying to protect Clara from what the Time Lords did to him. He's trying to protect Clara from himself and from his plan. And that's just not how they last operated when they last saw each other. Clara and him, they learned to share things with each other. They learned to keep each other in check and to operate on equal ground. But this, this was the doctor keeping plans from her because he just knew she wouldn't approve. Thankfully, Clara's bullshit detector is fucking through the roof. And honestly, both of Twelve's companions, really. Yeah. Clara and Bill are extremely allergic to bullshit. It's and true. I am here for it. I love that Clara is not playing the game alongside the doctor this time. She's not helping him solve the problem. She's not trying to win. Clara's sitting on the floor, fiddling with something in her hand, and she's looking for her friend. Because she she doesn't recognize the person that's in front of her. Um, and he tries to justify, I'm, I'm trying to protect you. That's when we get one of my favorite, most Clara lines ever. Tomorrow's promised to no one, Doctor, but I insist upon my past. And again, like over and over, because Clara is a real one, she reacts with such grace and with such love for her friends who she can see is in pain and is not himself. She tells him, no, my time is up. But people like you and me, we say things to one another. Mm. And then cuts to her amazing speech that we don't get to hear because we already heard it. <laughs> and because Stephen Moffat is wise. <laughs> and he knows best. <laughs> In yeah. this case, anyways. Yeah. In summary, I love I love that interaction. I love that scene. Yes. Secondly, the doctor gets to give Clara an actual goodbye. And he chooses to give her his speech, 
which we see later is like his speech, his regeneration speech, right? Yeah. Well, it's the beginning of it. We'll talk about it more when we get to Bill. He says mm-hmm. two thirds of his regeneration speech. Exactly. Run like hell. What? Run like hell because you always need to laugh at everything. It's always funny. No, stop it. You're saying goodbye. Don't say goodbye. Never be cruel. And never be cowardly. And if you ever are, always make amends. Which I love that it's not reserved just for, like, a moment that he has to himself. Yeah. It's something that he has shared with his companions before. Yes. Because, again, the 12th Doctor and his companions have the start of a really unique relationship that we get to see on screen where they actually learn from each other yes and it's something that from then on seems to be a theme in doctor who but it was like really brand new at the time at least to that i would argue to that sphere level yeah anyway secondly this scene is beautifully cruel in the way that clara is now having to say goodbye to the doctor the way that the doctor had to say goodbye to clara and face the raven mm. And they have to be brave together again, but now in reverse roles, which is pretty interesting to me. So he says, you, me, together, right before he is about to use the neural block, which, again, I don't agree with that specific choice. But, of course, it reminds me of together or not at all, mm. which is one of my favorite Doctor Who lines. And Even though that ending's whack. Exactly. It's a very similar <laughs> whack-ass choice for plot reasons, whack. <laughs> but a beautiful line. Yes. <laughs> but when the doctor is the one to start losing his memory, here's one of the many ways in which Clara parallels the doctor. She is put in the position the doctor usually finds themselves in, watching someone else they love fade away as they remain. Mm. And of course, the parallels continue at the end where she becomes her own time traveler, getting to fly off into time and space with her companion along for the ride. Yeah. To which I would like to add, in light of recent Gallifreyed news in Series 12, Evan on Twitter said, I guess Clara doesn't have to go back to Gallifrey anymore, (laughs) which is brutal and hilarious. Yeah. I do think one of the things that this episode gives is... Clara's been put in the position of the doctor, so she's the one who retains the memories, and he doesn't have his anymore. Yep. But she does return his TARDIS to him, and yep. she leaves him the doctory coat. She says, What happened to your coat? The velvety one. I like that one. It was, it was very doctory. Yeah. And she leaves a note for him that says, Run you cover boy and be a doctor. Which is, that's why I'm like, this episode undermines its own thesis, because at the end, she is still encouraging him to be his best self. Don't you be a warrior, be a doctor. That's great. I agree. So us as the audience just have to sit with that. On that note, I think it's about time. What are we sending to a crack in time and space this week? The entire neural block conceit. <laughs> just the whole thing. Agreed. Well, why are you erasing her memories or trying to erase her memories and end up erasing yours instead of just putting Clara back in her timeline. That's what she's going to go and do anyways. They so don't once you give realize give us a reason, right? Yeah. I was like there there's clearly it's not an option anymore. I'm like once, wait, no. Once it you totally realized is. that you need to change your habits, why wouldn't you then take Clara back to Gallifrey and put her back into her own time stream? She's like I'm fine with this. I'm supposed to die. That's how it's supposed to be. Like that could have still all been meaningful yes. and that seems like the choice that made the most sense, yes. but don't understand. Just the whole thing. Just take it away. Especially since he he take it away. Control Z, undo undo. Moffat in the yeah in the end in Peter Capaldi's he last gets episode. Gets his memories. Yeah. And, and when I saw him at Gallifrey for he did a live commentary for Twice Upon a Time. He was like, I always intended oh, to give the doctor so about cruel. his memories, and I'm like, why? It's so cruel. <laughs>
What you did was impulsive, capricious, and melodramatic. But it was also wrong. That makes no sense. I mean, it is like a powerful motivation for him moving forward, right? Like, we get that exchange between him and Bill where he's like, That's fuck, I the cannot yeah. just erase someone's memory like that. It's like one of the best Imagine the what pilot. that yeah. would feel like. Yeah. And he fucking knows. So there are good things about it. But again, just put her back in her time stream. Messy. I totally agree. Unnecessarily messy. <laughs> <laughs> I do. The thing I take away from it, though, is I like that she gets her own fucking TARDIS. Yeah. I like that she runs away with Maisie Williams or me. Mm-hmm. and she just becomes a proper doctor and it just gives the fandom room for so much material fanfic yes, yes. like fanfic and just like world building and just room to play and also i'm sure in the future a whole series of big finish audios that are just clara dope i love it i'm, <laughs> I'm here sure. for it of course mind you also, we have to acknowledge the obvious chemistry that me and him. Clara have together. Wiggle room. Wiggle room. Yeah. You know. Wiggle room. We could, um, you know, stop off on the way. Of course, you're already going to start thinking that because companions and the that doctor, way. the origin is more of heteronormativity. Yeah. But um, it's kind of flipping that on its side, bringing more interest into those tropes. The long way around. And I love that it allowed her to have that ending instead of condemning her for those attributes of being like the doctor. Yeah. That's it. Byronimo to the neural block. To the neural block. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> what about top three moments? My, I don't really like, anytime somebody makes a hero into a cowboy, like a real proper cowboy, not like the man Dadlorian, I don't really like it because cowboys are like... <laughs> Boring. So I don't love them making the doctor into a cowboy, but I do love when Rasslon says, Do you know what I have out here in the dry lands? There's nobody who matters. No witnesses. Thank you. Man, Peter Capaldi or Rachel Talalay or both or whoever, because he, he totally could have been like, me too, really mad. Yes. But he's like sad and torn up about it. He's like, me too? I don't have any witnesses either. He's fucking resolved, too. He's like, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I also fucking live for forever when the general's like, Mr. Lord President, there's no stun setting on that gun. You can't do this. Please don't. Trying to rationalize (laughs) it. And Clara's like, I don't want this. And then there's just that, that like steady shot on Peter Capaldi's face. And he goes, Regeneration. motherfucking slytherin ass <laughs> anytime somebody's like he's ravenclaw no <laughs> that is a slytherin moment to oh, be like we will get to it in our what regeneration are you yeah. <laughs> this is just one of our many many piles of evidence and facts for, for his slytherin fez. sorting <laughs> yeah. yeah wait until sorting fez don't worry i mean we continue to spoil that one but someday <laughs> there, will, there will be more meat to that speaking of which when clara is in the cloister I almost want to say cloister bells with him, but when Clara is in the cloisters with him and she just genuinely asks, why? Why would you do that to yourself? Four and a half billion years or whatever. And his look that he gives her is 
just confusion in Slytherin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're my right hand. You are my ride or die. You're my home skillet biscuit. You know what I mean? What the fuck? <laughs> Why? What else would I have done? What kind of question is that? <laughs> There's only one choice to make for four and a half billion years, and that is... If a bitch ever tries you, bitch, if a bitch ever tries you, bitch, let me know. Let me know, and we will set this shit off, bitch. I have a duty of care. Yeah. What part of that do you not understand? <laughs> Slytherin. Slytherin. My fam. <laughs> my girl. That's right. Never going to turn my back on you. Four and a half billion years. I do also, since we're just adding an extra in, I do love... Which is the Clara 12 arc in a nutshell. Because in their first series together, at one point she scolds him and she says, I have a duty of care. I don't, I know you don't know what that is, but that is my job. And now we get that beautiful reversal here in their last episode together where he says, I had a duty of care. Why wouldn't I show up? It's my responsibility as your friend. Yeah. That's beautiful. Even if he was out of pocket this whole episode. He was. <laughs> I'm just saying, like... <laughs> yes, yeah. it's being expressed in some wild ways, yeah. but the instinct is good. Also treat her as an equal at the same time. Like, yes. Those can both exist. Yes. In this episode, not so much. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, that's all I got. All right, well, then that's all we have for this week. Next week... We're discussing the husbands of Reaper's Home. Hey, hey, we got there. <laughs> yeah, we did. Dude, a Christmas special that we are excited about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for a rom-com. I know. You really need one after oh, this trio. It is, yeah, truly a perfect reaction it's to the, right call. Yes. the end of this soul season. Really. I need frothy happiness. Yeah. Okay. So you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. We want to hear from you, your thoughts and all your feels on this episode. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice because it really does help other queerdos find us. Until next time. Be gay. Do crimes. Yeah. Tune on your speakers and please be my doctor, whoever. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah.